Hi, my name is Marianne, I'm from Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and this episode is brought to you by MPW Membership. Did you know that all MPW members get access to monthly group catch-up calls with the rest of the MPW community? This is a perfect resource to help keep you focused on your goals and to give you support through your music production journey, no matter what stage you're at. This is a free feature for all MPW members. Take advantage of this awesome feature and so many more using the link musicproductionforwomen.com forward slash membership. Uh, what am I saying? This is MPW, 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 the podcast with your host, Zylo Aria. Cool. A podcast about Our music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Victoria Butash is a front of house engineer, a monitoring systems engineer, and a live sound professor. She has over 11 years of industry experience and is currently on tour mixing monitors for Jason Isbell, the 400 unit, and Sylvan Esso. Victoria is based in Austin, Texas, and is an avid fan of good coffee. Lovely to be chatting to you today, Victoria, and I guess it's coming into your evening today. How did your day go? Oh, it was eventful. We're getting ready for the holidays and I actually have some time off. It's been nice to be home and get to do a couple of holiday things. Like I sent out holiday cards for the first time in a few years today. So it's been great. Oh, nice, nice. So are you on the road quite often during the year? Oh, yes. This was probably my busiest year. And by the end of it, I will have been on the road for just over 200 days out of the last year. Oh my goodness. That is crazy. (laughs) That's such a long time. It's totally wild to look back on it now. And it's funny because I had uh, sort of a like middle of December commitment pop up too with one of my artists. So, you know, at this time I thought I was going to be home free for at least a month. And then that popped up, which is nice. It'll be like a welcome break from just being home kind of in the middle of everything. And it's a special one. So I'll be very excited to just jump out and do that and then come back and have a little more time off. Oh, good. Well, I'm excited for you for your time off as well. And I'm sure that's very well deserved after so much time on the road. (laughs) Oh, thanks. I'm just happy to have it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, great to hear. So before we jump into talking about your expertise in live sound, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and how did you get into what you're doing now and where you are today compared to where you got started in music? This is actually one of my favorite things to talk about because I get to talk about one of my favorite people in the world, which is my dad. So my dad is musical and a musician and has been playing music since I can remember. Um, My first memories are all essentially surrounded by music. And, you know, I grew up around it. All of my dad's friends were musical. I myself started out as a musician before I delved into audio, but sort of through my dad's band and his friends recording their original music recording was the first entry I had into audio engineering at all. So observing that sort of from afar, I kept playing music. I thought maybe I would go to university for music. And I did, but I chose the music technology path for my collegiate career, which was an interesting path. If I could go back and do it again, I might change that one thing. I think that on the flip side of it, at least, but I'm grateful for the opportunities that I had in college and the people that I met. 
it was uh, one stepping stone on my path to where I am now. I sort of had my first gig, my first paying gig in audio. It was in live sound when I was 19. Muddy under the table sort of situation. And it was great. And it was very easy. I mean, it was just like $75 a night and dinner um, to run sound on an Allen and Heat GL 2400. And it was fantastic. My friend Joey presented that opportunity to me, which was awesome. But, you know, it was interesting. I graduated from college. I was bartending and waitressing and like kind of doing sound on the side. I thought initially that I would be a recording engineer, like at the beginning of all of it. And then over time, I sort of morphed into loving and like really, really just investing my time in live production. And I'm glad that I did because now here I am and I'm lucky because I still love it every day. I can't imagine doing anything else. But essentially, I finished school. Live sound was sort of on the side for a while. I actually moved and took a gig doing some live audio production and sort of like assistant technical directing in California. And I was there for a few months. And then I moved back to Ohio and then decided to move to Vancouver, British Columbia where I took a completely separate job and only did live sound on the side. And eventually, what I realized that my goal of emigrating there was going to be a little tougher to accomplish. And it was kind of holding me back from progressing a career in live sound. I moved back to the United States and I moved to Texas, which is where I am now. And I began what became uh, sort of the earlier version of what my career is now and worked for a production company, you know, had some really tough gigs and learned a lot and fixed a lot of things and sort of built up this arsenal of knowledge. And then, as we all know, in 2020, COVID hit. I had had my biggest touring year in 2019 previous to that. And everything shut down and I transitioned into teaching a college, which is funny given everything else that I've said about being in college. But Austin Community College has a wonderful program and it's incredibly affordable. There's lots of scholarships to be had. It's a two-year program, so I highly suggest to people who don't want to invest in a four-year program. It is truly like one of the best out there, I think. But I taught for a while. And then in 2021, I got a road offer and I took it. And it's kind of been just consistent since then. <laughs> that sounds like a whirlwind journey in a way of <laughs> lots of different kind of pathways that you went down, which is great and seems to be quite consistent in a lot of these stories, rather than it being kind of a linear path to get to um, <laughs> where people are. And I guess that's just music, really. But that's incredible and so great to hear how the music industry has bounced back, really, after COVID and how things have been consistent for you as well, which is great. Can you tell us a random fact about yourself that maybe not many people in the music industry know about you? I think my random fact would have to be, and I can't say that like my touring friends don't know about it because it's a hobby that I love and is very uh, near and dear to my heart. And that is that I roller skate. Um, <laughs> and so I sometimes I'll take my quads with me on the road and like during downtime, especially in the summer when there's amphitheaters and like smooth concrete everywhere, I'll just throw my skates on, you know, in between setup and line check and just kind of skate around for a while. 
And it has been such a great outlet to have on the road, too. I feel like people are entertained by it, too, besides just me. And it's a great way to get exercise, which can be really, really hard to come by opportunities for exercise while you're on the road outside of obviously like loading in and loading out and things like that. Oh, my God. I love that. (laughs) That's so cool. And yeah, lots of respect. I feel like anything with wheels or skates or anything like that, I have lots of respect for because I could not be (laughs) less coordinated in that area. So incredible and great that you can just take that on tour with you as well. It always takes up like half of my carry on. (laughs) So I have to, I've had to, there have been a couple of times where like I was transporting new gear back and forth or something like that. And I had to leave them behind because it was like, well, like I bought this fancy new tool and I can only take one. So, you know, but it's been such a cool hobby to have. And, you know, I've even been lucky enough that a couple of our like touring photographers have like taken some cool photos and stuff. So, yeah, I love it. There's always a skate park nearby to like wherever we are. Most of the time I can find something or somewhere to go. That's cool. Love it. So then going into your career in live sound as a live sound engineer, Victoria, can you describe to me what is the setup process like during a gig or before a gig? Well, I kind of have like two answers prepared for this and uh, just um First, I will approach this from the touring perspective. That is what I predominantly do. There are several house gigs in Austin, Texas that I sometimes sit in for while I'm home. And that'll be the other topic is what a house gig looks like for me for setup. But for touring, these things are obviously a little bit different. So for anyone listening that doesn't know, we basically refer to a house gig as a permanent install most of the time. And then touring and some other house gigs, uh, amphitheaters and such are temporary installs. So you're bringing in in a temporary install all of the equipment. There is nothing there. Typically, the only thing that you have access to really is venue power. And everything from venue power out generally belongs to the tour or the production company that's bringing it in. So Right now, in the greater world, in a past life, I was a systems engineer, and now I'm pretty much exclusively a monitor engineer and an RF tech, which suits me just fine. It's my favorite job in the whole industry, and I'm having a lot of fun with it, so can't really complain at all. I I love it so much. But from my perspective as a monitor engineer on the road, you know, one of the first things that I care about in the morning during setup, and sometimes I will even begin working on it the day before or in the days and weeks before, depending on where we are, is going to be our coordination. And there are so many tools out there now that help you at least get a, a head start. And of course, you can't necessarily take a local scan if you're not in the place that, you know, performing in that day. But there's a lot of resources out there. Shure offers a service where you can plug in the address of a venue and it will tell you preemptively what TV stations to avoid. And you can enter that into whatever software or interface you're working off of to do RF coordination. Just before you get into more of that, Victoria, for anyone who is new to live sound, can you explain firstly what is RF coordination? Oh, of course. And what are you looking for there? RF coordination is just sort of an overarching term for any gear that's being used that's wireless, that's using radio frequencies to transmit and receive signal. So this is just saying wireless handheld mics. Most people are familiar with that. If you've seen a pop show, you've seen one of those. 
And then in corporate world or, you know, sometimes even in pop world, you have headsets or what's called a lapel mic, which is a small microphone that attaches to a shirt. And the opposite side of that is going to be a receiver, which is typically used for in-ear monitoring. So we have what are called belt pack receivers. They're just tiny little three by two packs with antennas on them that will receive a mixed signal instead of having wedges on the floor for monitoring. And I use a combination of speakers and IEMs in your monitors on my gigs. So uh, I deal with both. And when we talk about RF coordination, what we're talking about is observing the radio frequencies in the local space that you're performing in. So everything has to transmit and receive on a radio frequency, just like FM radio or AM radio. There's a frequency that everything is transmitting and receiving on. And it's literally like plugging in an address to a GPS. You're telling it to go from one place where let's say a transmitter. So like a microphone is a transmitter, a wireless microphone. If the signal is coming into the microphone, then it needs to be transformed into a radio frequency signal. And there's an antenna on the bottom of the microphone that then transmits the signal to a receiver and a receiving antenna, which transforms it back into audio. So that's what we're talking about here. But the sort of complicated thing is that it sounds really easy on the front end, but then uh, you realize how many other things are using UHF and VHF addresses for frequencies, such as broadband television. So television stations use broadband transmission and a lot of public safety have wireless single band transmission. And these are all things that you have to watch out for because if they are trying to be on the same address that you're on, it's going to cut out. You're going to have what's called interference and your stuff's not going to work. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a real tough day. So radio frequency coordination RF coordination is just a way to be aware of what's around you in your local area and to be able to visualize frequencies that are already being taken up in the airspace. So that's sort of okay. hopefully not too extensive of an explanation. <laughs> no, that's really helpful. And what was the resource that you mentioned that you use that tells you which channels to avoid and things? So Sure, which I'm sure many of you know is a microphone company, they also create wireless gear. And they manufacture wireless gear that is used pretty universally as sort of the top manufacturer. And then there's Sennheiser as well. And they also manufacture wireless gear. But Sure has some really, really powerful coordination things that are free. So Wireless Workbench is a software that you can download to your computer. And you can then actually network to your physical hardware and do your RF coordination and then push that information once you decide what frequencies are going to what devices to the devices. So you're not having to actually touch the hardware at all. It just pushes that information over Ethernet to the devices. So that's the first like really, really helpful thing. And it's free. And then the other tool that I use is an online tool. It's called Frequency Finder. And essentially, you just plug in the address to uh, the venue. And it will tell you in real time with the most updated information what TV channels to avoid. So essentially what's being broadcast in that area that day and which ones are free. And it even comes with recommendations for groups and channels, which are just preloaded information to a piece of hardware device that will be free in that area. So that's just sort of a 
one or two things that you can use. And then on the actual coordination side, so viewing what's in the air, you can actually scan with wireless workbench if wireless workbench if you have an antenna and then you don't have to have any external gear. But I use a device called RF Explorer. You can purchase it pretty much anywhere. I mean, you can just search RF Explorer and it'll come up on in places like Amazon and the other providers. And I use that with a combination of Touchstone Pro, which is just a visualizer. So that's how I do my RF coordination. Okay. That's a lot of things about a topic that I had no idea existed. So that's really <laughs> cool to know. <laughs> and yeah, it's not something that I would have really thought about. But when you mention it, it seems so vital to not get interference everywhere and for everything to be clear that's being received and transmitted. And there's so many resources out there, too, like on YouTube and other like Shore, even just the Shore website for learning about this type of coordination. And once you start getting into any amount of upper level touring, this is like an essential piece of information, especially for a monitor engineer to know. But there's like so many resources out there to learn and there's follow alongs and things like that. And Shore is like honestly so wonderful about sharing education. So mm, mm. huge resource there with Shore. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Thank you for sharing. And can you describe a time for me where you had to deal with a technical issue during a performance and how did you deal with that? Oh, wow. I think I have like a listless um, <laughs> amount of times where things have gone wrong. And I think it's important to just to note that in live performance, it is so hard to have a perfect show. Um, and that's just because there are so many factors and you only get to do it once. There is no post. It is just you do it and it goes well or it goes somewhere in between or it doesn't go well. <laughs> but probably my most recent one was that my artist was about to go on stage. We were in Europe and had done a full audio package rental from a company that's based in Europe. So it wasn't the gear that we typically have. And it just turned out that like, some of it was broken, like namely it was the receiver packs for the IEM. So the things that all the musicians have on that are they're monitoring with and like a minute and 30 seconds before the band went on, the tour manager came up to me and said that the main artist pack wasn't working and that it wasn't turning on. And at first I was like, oh no, like I put a dead battery in there somehow. <laughs> um, like I can't, which would have been wild because we have rechargeable batteries and they are always charging. So I took the battery out and I put a new one in and it turned on and the TM kind of ran away with it. And I was like, I'm just going to give him another pack. And it turned out that the pack that he was using, like was straight up just turning itself on and off. Uh, the battery wasn't dead. <laughs> it was fully charged. And so I had to like run downstairs and switch a pack out immediately. And I think like making a judgment call like that comes from like experience because I could have just said, well, like, oh, like I replaced the battery and it turned on and it's fine. You know, maybe it just wasn't seated correctly. But chasing somebody down and just switching out the whole pack and having spares of things is like such an important thing to have spares of gear spares in this case of frequencies that's all really important because you just never know and it's important to note that 
Also, this gear, when you're doing live performances, especially touring, you're pushing it into a truck every night. And then the truck is driving and things are bouncing around. They're moving around. People drop things. People don't put things away right. Like you aren't always the person that's putting things away. Um, sometimes you have stagehands that are assisting you and they might not put it away in a safe or correct way. And it's not anything to say of their skill set or anything. It's just that you can't always see what everybody else is doing. And sometimes people just don't know. So as far as fixing things on the fly, like just checking your gear, don't get lazy about it. You know, make sure that you're checking things on the daily, making sure that they're functioning. Like I would never hand an IEM pack to an artist that I hadn't listened to myself first. So that's like a practice that I do as a monitor engineer, you know, and then just having like physical tools and the mental tools to fix things quickly. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, those mental tools, is there a way to build that other than experience? Because when you're a minute and a half away from the band starting to play and you have to deal with this situation, I guess some people might freeze in that situation. I think that knowledge and experience is just like your best tools. You're going to screw up sometimes. I can't tell you how many times I've screwed up or fixed something in a more temporary band-aid way rather than fixing it and then it fails again. And I think I am diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. So like anxiety is something that I deal with on the daily, like even outside of work in different capacities. But I think that the thing that has helped me the most is just experience and had these mess ups before and being able to recall what I did to fix it at that time or what I didn't do and just sort of making a decision quickly and efficiently um, and then also sort of formulating a backup plan in case that fix doesn't work. It's tough. I think that especially, you know, a lot of people call monitors the hot seat And it is in a lot of ways because things are constantly changing and you are directly answering to the artist or the artist. And that can be really tough. But at the end of the day, I think the other thing that just really helps me is just knowing that if something goes wrong, it's one show. And that rest, sort of letting yourself decompress is really important. So I know people will just go down the rabbit hole immediately after a show when something goes wrong. They'll be up all night doing research and things like that instead of resting and decompressing because the last thing you want to do is come in to fix it the next day and you're exhausted, you've had no sleep, and you're still high strung from the night before. So I'm a pretty big advocate of self-care on the road, even when things go wrong. It's so important because your brain is your most valuable tool. And if you don't take care of it, then there's no rebounding from it. Once you're sort of at a loss there, it's hard to get sleep and like true rest back, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. No, that's good to know that I guess after you deal with it a couple of times, it does become easier and there's nothing like experience. So I see what you mean about maybe a hard thing to replicate in a classroom scenario, for example. So can you tell me what are some of the most important skills that you would consider for live sound engineering, but specifically working as a monitoring engineer? I would say the number one skill to being a monitor engineer in general is reading the room, being able to interface directly with people of like oftentimes varying personalities and being able to be a calming, diffusing presence in their general existence when they're on stage or when they're interacting with you. 
being able to not take things personally. I've been so lucky to work for artists who are incredibly respectful. I like have never felt threatened by an artist or that I worked directly, you know, in the touring world and have always felt totally respected by the people that I work for, which is good because that is not the case for a lot of people. And it's especially not the case for a lot of women. And it's especially not the case for a lot of people of color in the industry. And I've like seen it with my own eyes. And I just have to say that everyone, I think, deserves at least in that position, like basic respect. And I think that people lose their temper. You know, this is a sensitive thing, right? This is an artist thing. This is their craft. This is their livelihood. And sometimes tempers flare or personalities become too big or whatever, but you're not going to see anybody throwing their inner back at me and me sticking around to see what happens after we could. So, which is, you know, something that like some people deal with, not me, <laughs> but it's not on you. And that's why I bring it up is because like, while it is part of the skill set to diffuse and to like read artists and read body language and read tone it's not on you if people decide that they want to act immature and disrespectful also. And I would also like to say it's totally okay to walk away from a gig where you're not feeling safe or respected. And that goes across the board in any job, in any capacity. I think that that is a powerful reminder. And I also think that in the moment, it's really scary to not stand up for yourself and do something about that type of behavior. But I'm telling you that like, there are people that see it and there are people that will understand and you will not ruin your career over doing something like that. And so I know it's hard in the moment for people to remember. And I know this is like kind of curtailing like from where we were going with the question, but it's something that I like to remind people of that like, first of all, most everybody in the industry has been fired at least once and we're all still working, <laughs> um, you know, for the most part. And that also if you're not feeling safe, or taken care of. It's it's okay to leave. And there's a ton of work out there for you right now. So outside of reading people, being someone who pays attention to detail, especially in monitors, is pretty important. And I would say on the technical side of things, session file organization. So having an organized console file that allows you to jump around to important pages or important inputs or outputs quickly because when people are asking for changes, they're expecting them to happen very fast. And if you don't have your surface set up to allow you to achieve those things quickly, it's going to be tough. Even the most patient people get sick of waiting sometimes. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. And yeah, thank you also for mentioning the fact that it is okay to walk away from a situation where you don't feel safe or comfortable because I think in this industry especially you can really feel like you just need to deal with whatever kind of behavior comes your way because this is your one shot to impress people so it's just not worth it so I appreciate you just highlighting that as well. Oh yeah and and just to add quickly to that too if anyone and that means like superiors people who are working for you local people you know I think that as a woman, like this is something that like I've experienced a lot. It's okay to escalate things or tell people that you're not comfortable with something. You know, it is amazing what people will say, especially people that like don't know you around you. 
especially as a woman in production, it's just like, wow, what made you think that that was an okay thing to do or say? And I like really enjoy the tactic of if someone is not leaving you alone after you've asked them to leave you alone, just to loudly start saying that you're uncomfortable. (laughs) Just start really loudly so that everyone around you knows that you're saying, you know, you're making me uncomfortable. And usually people will stop (laughs) pretty quickly. And then you can also always request if you are working on a crew that has a production manager or a tour manager that like people are, I feel like the touring industry is becoming a safer place to say, hey, like I need to talk to management about A, B, and C because I am uncomfortable and I feel threatened. And outside of like your health on the road, like that includes like taking care of your health on the road is so important, but health also includes mental health and well-being around the people that you have to work with every day and even like the people who are local to the venue. So just adding that in there. (laughs) So just coming up to our little speed quiz, are you ready? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just five quick fire would you rather questions. So question one, would you rather be out of tune or half a beat behind? Oh, no. Um, I would be a half a beat behind. <laughs> okay, okay. Not music related, but would you rather be 11 feet tall or nine inches tall? Oh, uh, 11 feet tall. Uh, I want to okay. be able to still see things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Would you rather like a genre that everyone hates or hate a genre that everyone likes? I'm not a hater. I would rather like a genre that everyone else hates. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Love it. Would you rather watch nothing but Christmas movies or nothing but horror movies? Nothing but horror (laughs) movies all day, every day. (laughs) Oh my God. I couldn't do that. Um, (laughs) Would you rather not listen to music for a year or give up the internet for a year? I would give up the internet for a year. Okay. Yeah. I would do the same. All right. That was very good. That was nice and speedy, Victoria. Good one. (laughs) (laughs) Just coming to our top tip section. Can you give me your one top career tip? Be someone who is fun to be around and not take everything so seriously that you become a sort of a shell of like who you really are. I think people value the hang a lot more than they value your technical know-how. So just being respectful and just chill. And that doesn't mean sacrificing your own boundaries for any reason, but, you know, be chill. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. And of course, you are spending a lot of time together on tour. So you want to actually enjoy that time and enjoy the company of the people around you. So that makes sense. And do you have your one top self-care tip? My number one love in life in all of life is food and coffee. I like put that in the same category. So my number one self-care tip for when you are especially on the road is when you have the time, always go find a good coffee shop and treat yourself to a coffee. And on your days off, find a nice restaurant. And even if you save your per diem all week for this one nice meal, and even if no one else wants to go with you, I have eaten many fancy dinners alone. Just go do it and experience the food of like the place wherever you are. I actually love that so much. That's great. (laughs) And your one top general life tip. I was so back and forth about this, but I think 
My number one life tip is that we only get one, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and to seize the opportunities uh, that are in front of you while also respecting your own boundaries and setting your own boundaries. There's going to be plenty of opportunity out there, but, you know, just remember that almost everything is fixable. And there really oftentimes is not a right or a wrong way to go about things, just different ways. And so it's like, you might do something and you might say like, oh, I should have done this other thing, but who says that you can't go do the other thing or something similar? Mm-mm. I love that. And yes, totally agree with the fact that you do only get one. So you might as well have a great time while you're at it. So thank you so much, Victoria. That has been lovely. And I feel like I've learned a lot about the live space and also monitoring. So I appreciate it. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. And I really enjoyed being here. And this was a really fun interview. So thank you so much. This was great. Absolute pleasure. All right. Bye. Bye. My biggest three takeaways from Victoria's episode was the importance of radio frequency coordination as a monitoring engineer, which is the way to determine what else is using the radio frequencies which are in the room that you're working in that might interfere with your wireless microphones and any other wireless devices. My second biggest takeaway was that attention to detail and session file organization are really important skills for a monitoring engineer and you might have a really patient artist but people are only going to wait so long for you to get your files together. My last takeaway was that it's okay to walk away from a situation where you feel unsafe and there are always other jobs out there so to not put up with behavior that you don't feel comfortable with. That's it from us this week and we look forward to seeing you in two weeks.